Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And if that person is lost, bring that person back to its owner, to God. And if that person is saved, encourage that person to get closer to his owner, which is God. So what we're to do with the needy is what Boaz did with the needy. Look carefully. See the image of the creator on that person. And that person, see that person is owned by God. And that's what Boaz did when he saw a needy Moabitess. In his field. In fact, in verse 5, Boaz asked about the needy Moabite. It's very significant because the reapers, you know, they're working for Boaz. You know, so somebody might say, oh, well, of course Boaz cares about the reapers. I mean, look how they're making money for him. They're benefiting him. So, you know, if the reapers are happy, they're taking care of them, then they'll, they'll make more money for Boaz. They're going to work harder. They're going to benefit Boaz. You know, what goes around comes around. It's all just kind of like right in a big little circle there. And that's true. But here we see Boaz showing true love for the needy. Why is this true love? True love, or agape, God's agape love, is to do good for someone who has no ability to pay you back. That's what love is. See, when Boaz asked this question in verse 5, Boaz had all the intention of helping this needy woman, and Boaz knew that the giving would be in one direction, from Boaz to this needy woman. And Boaz expected nothing in return from this poor woman. That's an example to us. That's Boaz. He's, He's being an example to us. We should seek out the needy and give them and do them with no expectation that they're ever going to pay us back. Why should we do this? Why should we be like Boaz, give to a person who has no ability to give back to us? Because God asked us to. And all throughout the Bible, for example, David, king of Israel, he showed us what a good man looks like in Psalm 112, verse 5 through 10. He said, a good man shows mercy, shows favor, and lendeth and he will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance, and he shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid when, until he see his desire upon his enemies. He hath dispersed and given to the poor. His righteousness endureth forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. See, he tells us this is what a good man looks like. He's a person who shows favor. He lends to the poor. He scatters to the poor. And when a person does this, we're told, God says, I see that, and I'll make sure that if you do that, you won't be moved forever. I'll make sure that you're kept in everlasting remembrance. I'll make sure you're not afraid. I'll make sure you'll be exalted with honor. 
We want that? Yeah, we want that. Those are good things. We want those things. See, Moses pleaded with the Jewish people. And it's interesting because he speaks about two parts of the body symbolically when he pleads with them in Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 11. He says, If there be among you a poor man, one of thy brethren with any of the gates of thy land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart, first place. Don't harden your heart, nor shut thy hand, second, from thy poor brother. But thou shalt open thy hand wide unto him, and shall surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. Beware that thou be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying, you know, the seventh year, I've done my calculations, the year of release is at hand, thine eye be evil against thy poor brother. Thou shalt surely give him, thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him. Because for this thing, the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works and in all that thou puttest thy hand unto. The poor shall never cease out of thy land. Therefore I command thee, saying, thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brethren. You're not like this, but that much into the poor and needy in thy land. See, the word of God says, when you see a poor person, the very first thing you should do, check your heart. He said, look at your heart. Make sure you have got hard toward that, against that person's need. God calls our hearts wicked. And he says, he calls us, make sure that there's no thought in our wicked heart to not give and not help that poor person. Then it says the next thing we are to do is check our hand and make sure it's not clenched shut, you know, in our pockets too. Shut and in my pockets. Oh, he says, don't do that. Open your hand. And God just does it. Open it, open it wide. He says, and the passage tells us, you know, don't just give what the poor person needs, give him what he wants. So after we check our heart in our hand, God calls us to check our eyebrow, you know, and make sure, look in the mirror and make sure we're not like this, you know. Well, you know, that's what Paul meant when he said in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, this I say, he which sowing sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. Sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, not with furled eyebrows, or of necessity, I gotta do it. But God loves a cheerful giver. And he's able to make, you know what he's going to do? He's able to make all grace abound toward you. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. So we say, why? Why should we do this? Because of a specific promise in Proverbs 19, 17. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. And that which he hath given, will he pay him again? That poor person can't pay you, but God can. And God says, put it on my account. Put it on my account, I'll pay you back. Giving to the poor is giving to the Lord. And God says, I will pay it back. God said in Isaiah 58, 7 through 11, is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, that thou seest the naked and cover him? that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh, then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy rear reward. And then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer, and thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. And thou shalt take away the midst of thee the yoke, and putting forth the finger, and so forth. See, God says, 
You give your bread to the hungry? You clothe the naked? You give clothes to the needy? To the poor? What's going to happen to you? You'll have light in your soul. You have light in your soul. Our health is going to spring out speedily. Our health. And when we pray to God, God's going to say, right over here, here I am, right here. We'll have guidance from God. Our souls will be satisfied. All goes back to what Boaz did. He helped this poor person who did had no ability to pay him back. Exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke 14, 13. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed. For they cannot recompense thee. For thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. See, the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind are the ones that can't pay us back. They can't recompense. He said, you'll be recompensed. So when Boaz asked the servant that said over the reapers, whose damsel is this? His sole intention is how can I care for her needs? Where's she from? How'd she get here? What estate does she belong to? What's her financial situation? See, verse 6 is so great because it enables us to see Ruth through the eyes of another person, which is this foreman. So he's describing her, her most pronounced characteristics. He's telling Boaz. So let's pretend that we don't know anything about Ruth and for the, we're like Boaz. And so for the first time we're hearing who, the, about her, and it says in verse 6, the servant that said over the reapers answered and said, it's the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. It's the first thing that Boaz hears is that she's a Moabitess. She's a Moabitess. She's not an Israelite. She's from Moab. She's not Jewish. She's from one of those nations, the nation of Moab. And the next thing he hears is that Ruth has come back with Naomi. This speaks to Boaz when, when he hears the word, she's come back with Naomi. Well, you know, Boaz thinks Naomi is the one that, who is responsible for bringing her the knowledge of God. Why she come back? Because she's responsible for bringing the knowledge of God. It's Naomi who has led her to the Lord God of Israel. He knows Naomi has become a widow. He knows that she's all alone. And now he hears this Moabitess has decided to be loyal to Naomi. She's loyal to Naomi is what comes across. Then he hears those last words, out of the country of Moab. See, the foreman, he, it's, he didn't have to say that. Obviously, she can't, she's a Moabite. She's obviously, but he emphasizes it that in, in that last word. He emphasizes it. She came out of the country of Moab. She's a Moabitess. Okay. So when he emphasizes it, he's telling Boaz, look, Ruth has forsaken her country. Ruth has forsaken her people. Ruth has forsaken her gods. Ruth has forsaken her lifestyle of the Moabites. So he's saying she used to be just like all the other Moabites. She was an idolater. She was an enemy of God. If you verse 6, you know, and she's come out of the country of Moab. It says that she came out of all of that. That fits our description. In 1 Corinthians 12, 2, you know that you were Gentiles, carried away unto those dumb idols, even as you were led. By saying that Ruth came out of the country of Moab, verse 6, the foreman is saying, Ruth used to be a servant of sin, but now Jehovah Jesus has made her free. And that fits our description of Romans 6, 17. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. See, Moab, and all of the pictures that we have of Moab in Scripture, it's a very sexually 
immoral-oriented society. You know, that's how they defiled Israel, finally, with the sexual sins. And as sexual sins kill any inclination to God, that's what sexual sins do. Sexual sins are like a little tiny cement truck that just rides right into the heart and dumps its load in the heart. So the Moabites had no interest in God. They were a lust-driven society. They were a sex-driven society. And by saying that Ruth came out of the country of Moab, in verse 6, Ruth is identified as a person who was dead in trespasses and sins, who was walking according to the course of the Moabites, who was led by the spirit of Satan that worked in the children, the Moabite children of disobedience, but no more. Ruth, because of verse 6, she came out of that. She came out of the country. No more is she Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. But now she fits Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. She says, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We're in in time past. You walked according to the course of this world. You just fell right in line. According to the prince of the power of the air. You just obeyed perfectly. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, we all had our life in time past, in the lusts of the flesh. The lust comes and we follow. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh. The flesh says desires, well, yeah. And of mind. And we're by nature, not just practice, but by nature, the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who's rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, even when we were in that state, he quickened us, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you're saved. So verse 6, the description of Ruth coming out of the country of Moab describes her as having walked as other Moabites walked with their understanding darkened, they alienated from the life of God, ignorance that was in her, blindness of her heart, past feeling, given herself up to filthy living. That was all in the country of Moab that she came out of. And that's why Ephesians 4.17, it describes the way, this I say therefore and testify the Lord. Henceforth you now walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, work all manner of uncleanness and greediness. So just as Ruth, she comes out of the country of Moab, we've come out of what we were. And thank God that there is this word were in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Know you not the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. We read that list up there of those sins and we go, whoa, wow, you nailed me. But there's three wonderful things that now makes it all different. First, we are washed from our sins. We had to be willing to name our actions as sin and willing to turn from it. If a person says, well, I know what I'm doing is sin, but I rather like it. I don't really want to turn away from it. He can't be saved. 
cannot be saved. Jeremiah 4.14. O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness that thou mayest be saved. How long shall vain thoughts lodge in thee? The heart was the place of wickedness and it was the thoughts of sin and the wickedness. And that's what the Bible says in Proverbs 24.9. The thought of foolishness is sin. That's what sin is. It's the thought. There's got to be a willingness. There must be a willingness to turn from that before there can be any salvation. God can't help anybody who's not willing to turn. Often a person doesn't even have the strength to turn. They're so weak. And so they just cry out to God, I want to turn, help me turn. That's good enough. Isaiah 116, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your eyes from before mine eyes cease to do evil. Come now. Let's reason together. And you come to the Lord and you say, okay, I want to reason with you. I'm so, I'm so pitifully weak. I want to turn with all my heart, but I can't do it. God says, that's okay. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take it. If your sins be at scarlet, they'll be white as snow. What can, what does wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Revelation 1.5, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He loved us. He washed us. This expression of his love that he washes us from our sin in his own blood. And we talked about this earlier. One of the elders in Revelation 7.13, he answers and said, What are these who are arrayed in white lobes? Whence came they? I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. He said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's an amazing sight. All the, all the saved appear in white robes. Everyone will know that their robes didn't start off in white. They made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Not only are we washed from our sins, but we're sanctified. So these are the three important words. Washed, second one, sanctified. That means we're set apart for the Lord Jesus Christ. To be sanctified means to be, we are no longer our own. We are owned by the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? We did those sins in the past because we said, I own my body. That's my body. I'll do with it what I want. Thank you very much. I'm accountable to no one but myself. To thine own self be true. See, that's all different now. As the hymn says, now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time, but for eternity. At last, he says, we're justified. Justified. That's the work that the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross. As it says in Isaiah 53, 11, he shall seal the travail of his soul. He'll be satisfied by my, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He justified us with the travail of his soul on the cross. He justified us when he bore our iniquities on the cross. He justified us when he died for our sins on the cross. On the cross, he did what it says in Romans 4, 5, justifieth the ungodly. This phrase is so simple in verse 6 that describes Ruth as one who came out of the country of Moab. It brings back to our mind how the Lord turned us back away from sin to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in verse 9, verse 6, when she comes out of the country of Moab, it's a tremendous help for us. We remember our past. Satan does too. You know, those good old days when we lived in sin and we enjoyed sin. Our reply is one word, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. That one word is were. 
Those are my word days. And when the devil says to us, so what's the difference between your past word days and your present are days? You're the same person. What happened to make your past your word days and you saw the difference from your present are days? And we got to reply to the devil. We have a reply. Satan, three words. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. What makes me different? Washed, sanctified, justified. Washed from the sins of my old days. That washing was in the blood of the Lamb. It dealt with my internal problem of defilement. That's my internal filth problem. Now, I wasn't sanctified in my word days. Sanctification by the blood. That solved my ownership problem. Sanctification means set apart. And so she says now in verse 7, Foreman continues on. She said, I pray you, let me glean. Gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came, continued, even from the morning until now. She tarried not a little, she tarried a little in the house. So now Boaz, he hears that Ruth is humble, and she says, I pray you, let me glean and gather. She, she asked for a place to gather right after the reapers. You know, position, there's a way it works. Yeah, the position of the workers, you know, the, 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 the reapers are first. They're swinging those very dangerous sharp sickles, you know. And then there's a separation, and then came the maidens, and they would be gathering up what the reapers had missed. And normally after that would come the poor gleaners. See? But Ruth is asking, I want a position, can you please, I know it's dangerous, let me have a position right after the, right after the reapers. Can I have that position? I know it's dangerous. I know it puts me, it puts me within reach of men who could grab me. I know it also puts me in dangerous way from the sharp sickles that might injure me. But I, please give me this. So the foreman tells Boaz, she came. So she came. That after she'd asked permission, she obtained it. She followed through. She came. She came. She asked and she came. And so he could see, this is a woman of commitment. She did what she said she was going to do. You can rely on her. And then the foreman tells Boaz in verse 7, she's continued even from the morning until now. She tarried a little in the house. So there was a house in the field for the workers and they would rest there. And so, you know, the foreman kept a very close track on how much time each of the workers spent in that house. <laughs> Their break time, you know, so, okay, you, you got your strength back yet? He says, well, it takes an hour. No. <laughs> so the foreman watches how much time each one spends, and so the, it's natural the, the foreman also sees her when she goes in. And he says in verse 7, she tarried a little in the house. It's just a little time. I wrote down the time here. Look, it's nothing. There was something really impressed this foreman that Ruth spent very little time in the rest house. And now we read, then Boaz said unto Ruth, and just these words in verse 8, they've come as such so unexpected for Ruth. I mean, Boaz is coming now and speaking to her. She's so surprised. I mean, here's not only the owner that's going to speak to her, it's Boaz. Totally unexpected. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being the God of all wonderful surprises. And we thank you, Lord, that when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we were surprised to learn that Christ died for our sins. Lord, we thank you that after we just were saved from our sins, maybe it led us into heaven through the back door, but then we were surprised to find out front door, band playing, strike up the band, choir start to sing, angels start to rejoice, a sinner has come home. Lord, we never expected that you would give us those beautiful robes, you give us the great title, you make us part of the centerpiece of your worship, but you are the God of all surprises. 
And so, Lord, we give ourselves to you today and ask you to help us to be like Ruth in the humility of her mind, the perseverance of her effort, the nowness of her spirit, Lord, and the hard work that she did. You make us to be like Boaz, caring for the needy, seeing those who who have no possibility to ever pay us back, but we go and we bring the gospel to them for the need of their souls. And you do all this because your name is our wonderful counselor. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. You're invited to the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California for the third annual Taste of Creation Benefit Dinner and Silent Auction. It's Saturday, June 3rd at 6.30 p.m. This benefit dinner is in support of the Light and Life Foundation ministries that encompass the Creation and Earth History Museum, Friendship with God Radio Program, and Israel Restoration Ministries. Come experience gourmet and unique local restaurant foods, and we'll have Bible teacher Tom Cantor from the Friendship with God Radio Program speaking, along with musical performances by the De Lamont Strings. We'll have an amazing night of silent and live auction items, including tailored guitars, vacation getaways, and other exciting auction items. So if you'd like to attend this event, or if you're a local business or person that would like to donate and sponsor a product or service in support of the Creation Museum auction on Saturday, June 3rd at 6.30 p.m., then call us with your support or to reserve your seat. 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org. creationsd.org creationsd.org